Let me invite you to open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 23. This morning we resume our study of the, our survey of the Old Testament where we have been looking at a number of different themes, but at the same time I hope that we have been reminded in seeing that all of the scriptures, as Jesus said, point to him. The gospel is present from beginning to end. It was not a, a new idea. And there are implications of, of the understanding of the gospel uh, that are pertinent to us that we are also seeing through uh, those people who are much like us that God worked with through all of history. Uh, our reading this morning will begin in, in uh, verse 1. We'll read the entire chapter this morning. Uh, but before we read, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, as we gather uh, this morning, we do pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts uh, that we may behold your glory, that we may hear your voice, uh, even through the words uh, that we shall read and meditate upon. Uh, Lord, we need to feed upon this that we would be strengthened, and we need your grace to understand. So, Lord, we pray that through these words, you would help us to cling to your grace and to feed on it and be strengthened by it. Lord, we pray this in the name of Christ who is the Word incarnated. Amen. Joshua 23. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all the nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their lands, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right nor to the left, that you may not mix with the nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God, just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you a great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it's a, it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of the nations remaining among you and make marriages with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out those nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good ground the Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all of the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. But just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, 
So the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. If you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. May the Lord give us eyes to see and hearts to receive his holy word. It's been said that compromise makes a good umbrella, but a lousy roof. I think that's appropriate for us to consider. Most of us probably understand that implicitly. We understand that there are times and places where compromise does help us out, and some good things have come out of compromise. But if all of our lives are lived out of compromise, then we find that we are very unstable. And if the people around us live their lives and cannot be trusted because you never know what they stand for, uh, then it would be a lousy place to live. We all know that there are, are times that compromise is a bad thing. We know that if, if we never stand for anything, we, we lack principle. But we also could probably, if we thought about it, think of a number of times in our lives or uh, that we have compromised to the good of, uh, of those around us as well as for ourselves, or that because of compromises, we have good things. I was reminded from a retro commercial this week of something that's from my, my childhood. It was an old commercial where there were two guys, each were enjoying themselves on a nice spring day, eating their favorite snack, one with a jar of peanut butter, another with a chocolate bar when forces beyond their control bumped them together when the guy with the chocolate bar shoved it into the peanut butter jar, both of them angry at each other because they had compromised their favorite snack. They had peanut butter in the chocolate, on the chocolate, and chocolate was in the peanut butter, and it was just an entire mess until they each took a bite. And behold, the invention of the Reese's peanut butter cup, <laughs> perhaps the greatest gastronomical invention ever, <laughs> at least according to my book. But anyway... So we know compromise can produce some good things. But according to Joshua 23, we are reminded that when it comes to walking with the Lord our God, there is no room for compromise at all. There's no need for it. The Lord has promised good, the Lord has delivered good, and the Lord has certain requirements, not because he wants to push people around and, and bully us to see and to show who's in charge, but because he knows, and we know, that walking according to his way is what's only going to bless us more. And through that, we and others then bless God, realizing that he is the one through whom and in whom all things are made and sustained. Now, Joshua is writing this at the end of his life. Verse 1 tells us it was a long time afterwards, uh, probably about 25 years have taken place since have come and gone since Israel first crossed the Jordan and entered into their promised land. Joshua says in verse 14, I'm about to go all the way of all the earth. It's a poetic way of saying my days are numbered. Death comes to all of us at some time or another. In mine, I can, I can see it coming. It, it re rephrases over and over, both in an introduction and as Joshua speaks, that I am I'm old, I'm, I'm long in years. And so he's gathering all of Israel together. Here particularly, he's gathering the leaders of Israel. And in chapter 24, he gathers the entire nations and he's speaking his, his final words to them. Words from God, words of wisdom, words of his leadership to remind them of who they are 
and what they are supposed to be about and to give them warnings about potential compromise and consequences that, that come along with compromise. Now, as he begins speaking with the leaders here, the first thing that he tells them, essentially, if we were going to outline this, is to say that they need to remember God's faithfulness. We see that here in, in, verse, in verse 3. And you have seen all the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it's the Lord your God who has fought for you. In other words, he's pointing them in the beginning and the foundation of of, of their faith and of everything that he's going to remind them that they should do. And, and it comes from just remembering how good God is and who God is. And he's reminding them, you know, that everything you have, where you live, the benefits that are in your life, it's all because of God. God promised it to you and God has fought for you and provided it for you. It's all about God. And so he's calling them to remember the faithfulness of God as he is speaking with them. Now, part of the reason that he feels the need to do this is because he, he's going to give them a, a significant challenge. Because while they were already in the land and had been in the land for 25 years, and while they had cleared out enough of the land that they were able to inhabit it, nevertheless, there were still enemies that were living in that land, enemies that God had said need to be removed for your sake and because I've commanded it. And yet they were still lingering there, and so Joshua was showing them the importance of continuing and finishing what God had called them to do. Because up to this point, they had neglected. If you were to pen through the pages of, of Joshua, you realize after about, about chapter 13, when you, uh, they had gotten comfortable, they had eliminated enough of the obstacles that would, were a great threat to them, they just kind of parked and became, well, self-contented. Life was good. They were in control. Nothing was going to bother them. Joshua is challenging them and saying, look, you didn't finish what we're called to do. You have something that you are, there's still work that needs to be done in accordance with God's plan and for your own protection. But before he's calling them to that, he's reminding them of God's faithfulness. And if you read the pages leading up to that, you see that they have experienced some tremendous things. When they came into the land, the Lord has pro, pro, uh, performed in miraculous ways before them. Now in, in uh, chapter 6, you see that the people, one of the first things they had to do was to take one of the most fortified cities, one that was inconquerable. And God says, here's your military plan. March around it and blow your horns. And so they did. They followed it day after day. They marched and blew their horns. They made no assault on the walls, no attack to the people. They just marched around it. They blew the horns, raised up a loud shout, and on the appointed day, the walls just came crumbling down. Now, we hear about that as a Sunday school story, and we read about it, it's become so familiar that it's easy to remove ourselves from the amazingness of that. I'm not sure that those of you who are in the military, that you're going to employ that as a tactic anywhere you go. Just go around. And even in Israel, they never did that again. It wasn't like, this is now the pattern. Anywhere we go, or wherever we have difficulties, we're just going to march around, toot our horn, and everything goes the way it should. Now imagine being one of the guys that was marching around that time. You go around the first time, think, oh, God said it, I guess we'll do it. Next day, you come back, you march around, blow your horn, doing it again. Sooner or later, I don't know about you, but, but I begin to feel a little stupid. I'm going to do it because God told me to do it. But we're, these people want to kill us, we need to wipe them out, and we're walking around and blowing our own horns. Now imagine what happens when you blow the horn and all the walls come down. I would be freaked out. I would be 
amazed because God said it was going to happen. God must have made it happen. Because here, everything that seems so strong and against us has collapsed. It's a regirding of the faith. Time and time again through the early, time, early days as Israel was in that land, God did amazing things, all of which were to show them God is in control. God is powerful and God is faithful to his promise. And so Joshua is saying, look, you know what God has done. You know that he's been faithful. Remember what God has done. Re remember. Remember your calling. But remember your calling is related to, well, it's related to remember God's faithfulness. Your calling is very distinct. It's a matter of remembering who you are. God has said, you're my people. I have redeemed you. I have chosen you. I have set you free, and I have a purpose for you. I'm going to bless you. Through you, I will bless the entire nations. You are in covenant with me, and I am in covenant with you. I will provide for you, but as faithfulness to the covenant, there's things that I expect from you, things that you need to do. You're not earning the covenant, but this is your expressions of gratitude, thankfulness, and faith in the covenant. You're to be a holy nation. God says, I am holy, and so you are to be holy. And so they were to be seeking God and God alone. We see that in, in this as Joshua is reminding them, make sure you love the Lord your God. It's not enough to pay homage to God, to offer him your tithes and time and, and worship. But the question to the people that it was laid out for them at that point is, okay, I may do all those things, but am I going through the motion? Is my heart really delight in God? Joshua says, make sure you do everything that's commanded in the book of the law. So it's part of the holiness and the purification that holy God must have for fellowship with people in his midst. It was also a mark that they belonged to this holy God because every law that they were called to keep is a reflection of some aspect of God's character. And so as they conform themselves more and more to what God had laid out in the law, more and more they display the character of God to the nations who are wondering, who are these people? And more important, who is their God and what is their God like? As they are walking in accordance with the law, people, the nations should be able to see that. And so even while they are at war clearing out the nations who had defied God, bringing divine justice upon those nations. At the same time, they are a display of the nature and the character of God for all the nations to see. The nations who were being wiped out, Israel was also their hope because it pointed them to the one God. And throughout all of the Old Testament, we find people from all these tribes that are being wiped out, being drawn, repenting, believing in the one true God and becoming part of Israel. And so that was their calling. And part of their calling in this case was also to continue to drive out the inhabitants of the land so that they could carve out a, a place for themselves so that they wouldn't be tempted, so they wouldn't be oppressed, so they wouldn't have difficulties, and so that they could have a place that was clearly and distinctly marked as belonging to the people of God. And Joshua says, and there's no room for compromise. And he says it very clearly in verse 6. He says, look, you need to do what you're called to do. Don't sway to the right. Don't sway to the left. Just 
stay focused on what you're to stay focused on. Do what you're to do. Be what you are. There's no compromise. And then he elaborates further, and toward the end of the chapter, he says, look, there's no compromise thing I'm, God is serious about because just as he has promised and fulfilled his blessing to you, if you are not faithful, he'll drive you from this land as well. There's consequence for compromise. Now, as I study this and I look at this, there's a number of things that ring true and help me realize that it is pertinent for you and for me as well. Our circumstances are different. We are no longer to be a body militant where we advance the gospel or demonstrate uh, our, the, the faithfulness of our God through military power and through, uh, and, and through taking of, of land. We do so by declaring the grace that has already been given to us in the person of Christ, but through every tribe and tongue and every place on earth and as those people and then increasing peoples and then nations come to believe. We are already shown the picture at the end is that every, every nation, all the kings of the nations will one day come and bow and honor the one true king, Jesus Christ. What Joshua was saying here, if you think about it, if you look about it from this way, there are a lot of parallels, a lot of similarities to what Jesus says in the Great Commission. Jesus says in the Great Commission, when he, he comes in, he, he says, look, I've delivered you and I've saved you. And I've already established this kingdom. And yet there's still work to be done. Uh, you need to be obedient in all of your ways. And, and you need to know that I'll always be with you. I'll empower you by my spirit. And I'll, I'll be the one who is able to do work that is beyond your ability, beyond even your wildest imagination. But as you are faithful to me, both walking with me, loving me, and doing what I've called you to do, you will be my witnesses, and my glory will be displayed to the nations of the earth. Essentially, Joshua is saying the same thing to these people. He's saying, look, God has already redeemed you, and he's blessed you, and he's put you in this place. Everything you have, he's already blessed you with, but there's still work to be done. It's all the more significant when we consider the one who's speaking it here in the Old Testament's name was Hoshea, was changed to Joshua, uh, which, or in the Hebrew would be pronounced Yeshua, which is also the Hebrew name of Jesus, Jesus being the Greek version. In other words, Jesus is also, as he was walking around, he was, a, was a Joshua, which means he saves his people. It reminds us that we do have a mission, and that we do not have a place to compromise that mission. That every nation is to be reached, people from every tribe and tongue. There are people groups that have not yet been reached, and we have a part to play in partnering with other churches throughout the world, other believers around the world, in order to reach those nations. And the idea of saying, well, most is good enough, apparently is not according to the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. All must be reached. And for us to say, like the people of Israel did, if you were to fast forward and see how they respond to this command in, uh, in Judges chapter 1, you see that line after line, and these people, they went into their land, but they did not drive out this tri these peoples. And then this tribe went in, but they did not drive out these people. List after list after list. What had happened to Israel is they became very complacent. They got contented. They realized yeah, there were some things that could be problems, but as long as they were strong enough, as long as they were in control, as long as they stayed together... And that God had already provided them. They were very comfortable. They wouldn't worry. They'd just keep their eye out for things that might be a potential danger. But now let's just live it up because look at all that God has given to me. 
They began to live for themselves. The theme that runs through the book of Judges is everyone does, did what has seemed right to them. Basically, it was a live and let live. You don't bother me, I won't bother you. If I, what I do, as long as it doesn't hurt you, a very libertarian kind of mindset, as long as what I do doesn't hurt you or whatever you do doesn't hurt me, it's none of my business. Let's just, just coexist. And as they lived that way and, and, and lived in, in a level of prosperity, more and more their hearts began to be turned inside to themselves and less to the Lord their God. Many of you are Bible students who know that if you then thumb through the rest of the Old Testament as God would send prophet after prophet to these people and saying, look, you're not living for me. You're not living in accordance with the way that I've commanded you to. You have not done what I've called you to do. You actually have reaped some of the consequences of it. Repent, believe, and obey. In the hardness of their heart, God takes first the northern kingdoms, then the southern tribes, None of them exist anymore. He did exactly what he promised would take place as they no longer occupied that land. Now, God did not wipe them out, nor did he promise to wipe them out here. Because many of those who were of Israel, even though they were scattered throughout the nations, were the very ones to believe. They were the blessing to the nations because Christ was born through them. And many of them believed. And the early church was founded by many who were the descendants here. And there are many yet to still come who will believe and will be engrafted back in, in God's grace. He's not just said, you know what, I was working with you, Israel, but I'm tired of you. And so I'm going to go over here. You had your chance. But he did bring discipline, even as he had promised, because of people who became self-focused, building themselves up and not faithful to their call, not faithful to their mission. Certainly a lesson we need to learn about. Rob asked permission earlier this week if he could sing the song for offertory. I read through the words and said it will be certainly appropriate to what I need to say. I didn't tell him that I was till after the first service. Thanks for the calls I'm going to get. I mean, because it's challenging. We are a people who have traded in identity and faithfulness to God to the American dream. It's not an issue of patriotism or delight of being the freedoms that are being here. It's a matter of our own prosperity, and we'll give a little bit here and there, as long as it doesn't hurt as much. Little time, little money. Towards the fulfilling of the mandate that Jesus has said, that we're to go to all nations and bring people in. And the only reason for that could possibly be, it can possibly be is we're contented. Somebody else will take care of it. It'll get done. God doesn't need me to do that. We need to realize that God takes this serious. But even as I say that, there's something that's even more immediate and more pressing that I, 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 would, I would rather you see even than the connection with the Great Commission. It's part of the Great Commission, but it's a part that we don't necessarily consider. The Great Commission is not just go reach, it's about making disciples. We tend to think of the Great Commission of what we're supposed to do and what other, how other people are supposed to respond. But I don't know about you, but in my life it's been very too easy to get focused on what I'm supposed to do and not focus on what I'm supposed to be. In other words, I'm so focused on helping you and others try to become disciples, I fail to actually be a heartfelt follower and loving the God who has saved me on my own. I just go through the motions and do some things that I'm supposed to do, and I'm not actually the disciple. And I think as we look at this picture, one of the things we need to understand, again, it's a reminder for those of you who've been with us through the series. A few weeks ago, I had shared with you that 
very often we tend to look at the pictures of the promised land. We may have been taught this in our Sunday school classes growing up. The promised land is a picture of heaven. A lot of our hymns reflect that idea. And I'm bound for the promised land. It's a, and those are all uh, kind of escape type songs. And, and they are talking about heaven that is yet to come. And yet the promised land is filled with obstacles, hardships, trials, people who want to kill you, people that, you know, enemies. It's not heaven. The promised land is not a picture of heaven as much as it's about, about our life in Christ now and our sanctification, our point from the point of our conversion and, and being born into Christ by his spirit until we are fully delivered and there is no more strife, hardship, sickness, difficulties. In that in-between period is much more like what the Israelites were facing in their promised land than anything that we're going to face in heaven. Because in our lives, we're already told we're going to face different kinds of trials and hardships because there are, we live in a world that is hostile to the ways of God. Maybe not all of the ways at all times, but enough of the ways in anywhere we go that feathers are ruffled and, and people are claiming space for themselves. We continue to struggle with sin that is within us, even though we've been set free from its authority. And even though we are no longer condemned or being judged for it because Jesus has taken it all upon himself, nevertheless, we all struggle with remaining and lingering sin in our lives. And I would suggest to you that each of us, however that's uniquely expressed, each of those are similar to the pictures of the tribes that are called and saying, now I've given you this land and it will be yours. Cleanse it, and it will be perfect. But while the inhabitants are still there, it will be a stumbling block for you. It will be difficult for you. That's a picture of whatever the sin may be in your heart and in my heart. And it may be different for some of us than others. Some may struggle with pride. Others with faithlessness. Others may express whatever their issues are, whether it's insecurity or superiority through gossip while others struggle with bursts of anger. My guess is you know what some of them are in your life, though you may or may not be aware of all of them. I'm certainly not aware of all of the issues in my life and things that I thought that I have gotten better, they find a way of coming back and, and reappearing at the most inopportune times. We have ways that we are able to respond to this some of us just kind of assume, eh, I thought it would be better, and as long as I'm not hurting anybody, it's not any big deal. I, I'm fine just the way I am, our Mr. Rogers Christianity. Others of us are just in anxiety over the reality of it, and yet we don't seem to be able to get any power over it, and, and nothing happens. And so, because we've tried, we've tried, we've tried, and we continue to find ourselves failing, eventually we just exhaust ourselves and we give up. Either way, the enemies still are living in the land of our heart and the land of our spirituality. The reality of the kingdom is, is present. Christ is truly with you, and you've tasted it, and we can experience the glories of it, even though it's just a foretaste because it's going to be far greater when we are not dealing with this issue, sin within ourselves and sin by other people. But we can still taste it. But Jesus says, I have something far more for you. The message that he spoke through Joshua is pertinent to us in that vein as well. Because the message that Jesus proclaims to us is very simply this, remember your calling. Remember who you are. 
Peter tells us very succinctly this that should show us how akin we are to Israel. But you are a chosen race. This is for anybody who is in Christ. You are a chosen race. Sound familiar? From all the nations I chose you. You're just chosen. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. In other words, as Israel was called to be holy, the priesthood are the ones, the priests were the ones who were called to cleanse themselves, to become holy, in order that they may go and intercede on behalf of others for their sin, and particularly for the unbelievers or the people who are struggling. As Christians, we are chosen, a chosen people. A royal priesthood, in other words, we are to be holy, not only simply to glorify and please God, that's part of it, but also because in our becoming holy, we then intercede. Our function is to intercede on behalf of people who are alienated from God to offer as the sacrifice is offered. We lead them to the sacrifice offered once in Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. In other words, God, we belong to God. God does not belong to us. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this is a very pregnant and powerful passage that we need to consider, and I'm not going to, to deal with it in great length other than to say, you know, we see the parallels with Israel. We're a chosen nation, a holy nation, a people, and the purpose is that God would display his blessings in us so that we would be able to declare both by our words and just by our being of the grace that has been given to us so that others will see and others can believe. That's our calling. That's who we are called to be, and yet and with this, we see in, in the, this verse, we're called, be holy as I'm holy, make disciples of all nations. Jesus says, just as Joshua did, do everything that I've commanded, love the Lord. And he says with this also, there's no compromise. See, if we get to a point where we're comfortable, but we allow sin and we are not actively engaged in trying to the theological word is mortify it, put the sin to death in our life, realizing it's an ongoing war and we need to be aware and active in doing that through repentance and belief in what Jesus has accomplished. That's also the power that he has promised to begin to kill it in our own lives. If we're not actively aware of doing that, it's still there. Just like in Israel, from time to time, when the people thought things were fine, the very people that they thought they had under control, they had quarantine, would come in, and one of two things would happen. It would either infiltrate, infect them like a virus, and they would begin to follow the ways of those people. Or they would get strong enough, they would come in and they would oppress and hurt. So the very sin that they thought was safe would come back and bite them. The same is true for you and for me in our lives. Though we know we have issues, we're not, you know, we just, we're not actively engaged in trying to eliminate the sin in our lives. Put it to death. It pops its head up in ugly ways and in inopportune times. And sometimes it just stings. And other times it's devastating, not only for us, but for the people who are around us. God knows that it's dangerous and it needs to, we need to be dealing with it. And there, there is no compromise when it comes to our sin. What we think are minor things, they're the things that come back and bite us. And it's kind of like the potato chips. The reality of it is, is you never stop with just one. I mean, you might think, okay, you know, I'm doing all right, and this is a struggle. As long as 
I, I just, I'm just not gonna deal with this right now. And we assume we're gonna compromise, and that's the only place we're gonna compromise. The reality is, just like we see in the history of Israel, we compromise here, and then here, and here, and then we have a series of what we consider to be insignificant compromises, and yet that's how the armies were able to become strong. And that's how the sin is able to get back a foothold in your life. Again, we're not condemned, and we're not rejected, nor was Israel. But there's consequences that we don't want to experience and that are certainly unbecoming of the Lord. So there is no compromise, and, and it's interesting here is that in this compromise, the, the language that Joshua uses is important for us to consider because he says, and don't turn even to the right or to the left. In other words, stay straightforward. Just stay focused on what you are to be and what you are to do. You are to be a people who understand that you've been chosen by me in covenant relationship with me. You're to love me with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And with the power that I've endowed you with, you are to eradicate the sin in your life and become holy. And actually, the more and more that that happens, there's an attraction for the nations and for the unbelievers that begin to see the difference that is made, not because of our army-like going out and, and engaging in mission, but because of the power that comes through humility and just the gospel that taking shape in our lives. In fact, in the whole idea of no compromise and the whole idea of taking the right or left, I find those words interesting choices. Not exactly sure what Joshua meant by them. I suspect he was saying, look, don't look to the guy on your left and don't look to the guy on your right. You just stay focused and yet together. Don't look to the nations around you, wherever they are. God has already set the standard for you and he is the hope. And in that sense, we like Israel are called not only to remember who we are, not only to remember that there is no compromise, but to remember God's faithfulness. And the ideas of right and left really come into our vocabulary, our vernacular in the same way, even into our own spirituality, because here's where we're tending to prone to compromise. Many of us fall into one of two categories. We might say on the, the, to the right or to the left might represent licentiousness or legalism. And both of which are compromised. Some of you are familiar with Tim Keller's book, Prodigal God, where he paints the picture of the, and helps us to see the, um, the two sons and the way that they behaved and the way that they lived their lives before their father. One was the picture of licentiousness. You know what? I don't care. I'm just going to do what I want. He might have been somebody who would in our day say, God's going to forgive me anyway, so what difference does it make? I'm free. I'm going to go. And, and so I just do whatever I want. You have the other son who was diligent and active out and, and seemed to be faithful in every way, but his heart grew harder and harder and harder because he was a legalist. He was going to become good on his own effort and put God into his debt. And neither of them had the power to change themselves until they came to the end of themselves. I believe firmly that we need to take a look at what Joshua is saying here and realizing we have something that needs to be done, not just the mission. That's important. We'll get back to that in just a moment. But the only way we're capable of doing the mission is if we deal with the issues within ourselves and take our own sin seriously, realize we cannot turn to the right or to the left, to legalism or to licentiousness, but look straight ahead, remembering God's faithfulness, which is what Joshua called us to do to begin with. Joshua, he who saves, God's provision for us in Christ. It's a call for us to remember that God is the power. The gospel is the power to change us, not only to bring us to life, but to give us life, to sustain our life, to make us what we are to be. We don't look to other things, but we continually look at the gospel and the different aspects and the beauty and the depth and the dimensions of that. And in compared to that, we are able, by the light of that, we are able to see the reality of our own sin. By the power of that, we are able to let go of those sins. 
And by the draw of that, we are able to be conformed to what Christ is like, which is why Jesus says, look, look to me. If you love me, you'll obey what I've commanded. It's not saying, you know, show me you love me. He's saying this is the inevitable fact of someone who is growing in their love for me and they know how much I've, they know how much I've loved them and the inevitable thing is that they then do what I say or they do what I have said because they're becoming like Christ. That's, who we, that's our calling. And yet we struggle. My hope is that we would Deal with that in our lives right now, and then here's the strength that we have. God says there's no room for compromise. It's not just for you and for me, it's for God Himself. And our hope is rooted in this very fact the hope for our change and the hope to engage in the mission that we want to see done is found in the fact that God Himself never changes and never compromises. And He says, I, I can't compromise my justice. I, I won't, as people say, people seem to be thinking, just wink and just say, well, you know, you're pretty good. You're trying hard. Well, God never does that. He says, look, the wage of sin is death, and somebody's got to pay the price. There's consequences for sin. But God also said, well, I can't compromise my justice, but I, I can't compromise my love either. And so he sent his son. As Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 5, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a declaration that comes as soon as we believe. But there's a process that Jesus says, what I've begun in you, I'm going to see through to the end. We become, we're in the process of becoming more and more of revealing the righteousness of God to be the vessels, the display, the character and the glory of God. But that only comes as we are intoxicated and focused on the faithfulness of God as demonstrated in what, what he's done for us in Jesus. That's the power to change us, to be, make us what we need to be. Then having been changed, there's a power that works through us to the people that we are ministering to and that's the message that will change the nations and our neighbors. It's not be good like we're good. It's not, what the heck, I'm no better. It's be holy by believing. And if we cling to this hope, if we recognize and we remember that, God will do what he said that he would do in us. This is a pregnant passage that I know you'd be shocked. I'd, I'd love to talk more about, but I will just leave it with that. There is no compromise, but there's plenty of grace. Let me pray. Father, we, we stand because of the grace you've shown, and we stand in light, in that light. We are people who have been blessed, and yet we are people who are still a work in process. If there's any among us who this morning knew that they are a work in process but felt like they were alone, Lord, I pray that they would understand that this is true for all of us. For those of us who put, are prone to put on the best front, Lord, help us to realize that while we may look good, it's, not really for our, it's only for ourselves, not really for others.
and it's not for you. But let us be truly displays of the grace of where you are. Let us be transparent and real so that the progress that you are making in us becomes evident to the world and to us. Because only as what is really going on is evident to the world will people truly believe and be changed, those who are not even yet part of the fold. So Lord, prepare us and shape us by the power of your gospel that we would be used and that your mission would be fulfilled. I lay these things up to you. Left to ourselves, we've proven that we would wander and become lazy. But reminded of your grace and of your faithfulness, we are emboldened and encouraged. Father, bless us that we may bless you and bless the people you send us to. We pray in Jesus. Amen.